postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey, what's up everybody? It's Marcus here. I am a bit late this um, this week, uh, but that's because I had an insanely busy weekend and I needed a bit of downtime uh, before I could sit down on the computer and get this week's episode out. So um, hopefully that's totally cool with you guys. I'm sure you understand. Uh, some great things happening at some baptisms at one of my church this week. I've actually been baptizing people all month long, which has been so much fun. It's been absolutely amazing. But I'm super stoked to be here to bring to you guys part four of the Cringeology series. So I want to welcome you back to Cringeology. Now, before, um, before we dive in, uh, I want to take a moment, as I do in each of my episodes, to thank the Story Church Project patrons and also the um, the Haystack, who is one of the, uh, oh boy, the word just kind of slipped my mind. I told you guys I had a huge, uh, very busy weekend, so my brain's still trying to recover. Sponsors, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, Haystack, one of the sponsors for the Story Church podcast or the Story Church project as a whole. And if you never had a chance to check out the Haystack, make sure you do. The Haystack is the voice of millennials in the Seventh-day Adventist church and they focus on life culture and theology so make sure you check those guys out now i want to go ahead and dive straight in to episode or part four of cringeology where we are going to be talking about false belief number four false cringy belief number four now i gotta be honest this whole series has actually been a whole lot of fun and there's a few more installments. There's seven ideas we're talking about, so we're only at part four. So there's a few more, um, but I'm really looking forward to the next few and you know and wrapping this whole thing up. Now, up to this point, we've we've talked basically about how bad theology is at the foundation of much of Adventism's missional incapacitation, and when unhealthy beliefs are embraced, the bottom line is unhealthy culture follows, right? Um, now, we started by talking about fundamentalism and how this approach to how the Bible is inspired, um, it, it fuels unhealthy radicalism in many of our local churches. And, and we saw how fundamentalism kind of crept into Adventism. It wasn't a part of our identity um, early on. And we also looked at frugalism and how this approach damages Adventist mission um, by decentralizing Jesus and you, know, you, you tend to focus more on the law and beasts and end time events instead. Uh, and then just last week, we took a look at the next logical step in this cringeological journey. And that is, uh, that was rather perfectionism. And we saw how even though perfectionism isn't as dominant as it once was in the church, its impact remains in local church cultures where people are unable to be vulnerable or open up about their faults because everyone's trying really hard to look as holy as possible. 
Now, all of these things and more, what happens is they, they come together, right? And, and they may not be like giant problems, but they come together and, and little by little, they, they, they kind of form a wall that effectively kills Adventist mission. And so the whole point of cringeology is that if we're going to be a truly missional church, then it's not simply about strategies and structures, right? We, we have to dig deep into the very ideas that define who we are and how we conduct ourselves in the world. And if those ideas are bad, then who we are and how we conduct ourselves is going to be repulsive to people rather than attractive. Now, in this week's post, like I said uh, at the very beginning, we're getting to it now after that long introduction. Um, we're going to look at item number four in this list of cringy beliefs, and that is reclusivism, right? So what is it? Why is it false? And how does it damage Adventist mission? Let's take a look at that now, and then you know we'll close with some practical steps on what we can do to heal our local churches, our culture as a whole, from the impact of reclusivism. Now, one of Adventism's central doctrines is this idea of the remnant church. And Adventists have long held that the Adventist church has a, it's a prophetic movement, right? It's a prophetic movement that encapsulates what it means to be the remnant church as we see it in Revelation. And, and as such, we've historically seen ourselves as occupying this special role in end time events. Now, as I'll demonstrate in the next few minutes, uh, despite kind of the modern tendency to throw this belief in the bin, um, remnant theology, I don't know, like it's not really the problem. From, from my experience, from my perspective, I think the problem is remnant theology as seen through the lens of sectarian, holier-than-thou attitudes. Uh, that's the problem. And then that sectarianism, right, those holier-than-thou attitudes, they, they're fueled by fundamentalism and frugalism and perfectionism. And so the result of this approach is a church culture that believes that it is elite, it's holier, it's chosen above all others. And, and once that belief is embraced, then all those others, right, in, in between commas, all those others, they come to be looked down on. So, like, here are some ideas you might have encountered that reflect this uh, among church members. So, number one, you might have heard people talking about how we shouldn't read or any books or listen to any preachers who are an Adventist, right? Uh, this is an example of reclusivism. Or, or don't attend any non-Adventist events or even associate with non-Adventists unless you're evangelizing them. Then it's okay, right? Um, or everyone who is not Adventist is painted as Babylon, and we're the only ones who are true and faithful, right? Like everybody else is Babylon. Um, or, you know, usually when it comes to um, worship and, you know, like especially you got guys like Hillsong, you know, movements like Hillsong and Bethel who have like all these amazing, beautiful worship songs. And someone will stand up and say, well, all these songs are written by Pentecostals, so we shouldn't sing them um, because, you know, we're Adventist. And the insinuation is we're way better than that. Um, or if your pastor quotes not Adventist, then, you know, he's got corrupt theology. So th these are a few examples of expressions or ideas that are built on a reclusivist mindset. So basically, the idea behind reclusivism is that God's true people must separate, disconnect, or detach themselves from everyone else. So the motivation behind this might revolve around a fear of being contaminated by others, or a paranoia of compromising our message, or the narcissistic belief that we're somehow so much more enlightened and sanctified than others that we must not associate with them. So basically, to, to wrap up question number one, what is reclusivism? Reclusivism is the false belief that Adventism, in order to maintain its peculiar identity, must separate itself from everyone and everything. That's reclusivism. Now, the question is, why is this false, right? Because a lot of people like think that this is the way to go. And, and let me be honest here. Um, 
I'll share why I believe this is false. And, and, and I'm not the first one. Many others have done that throughout Adventist history. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is there will always be reclusivists, right? Like we're, it's, it's not a thing that we're ever going to get rid of. Um, there's, there will always be fundamentalists. There will always be frugalists. There will always be perfectionists. And there will always be reclusivists. And, and so the question isn't like, how do we get rid of them? Because then you end up in the same hole that they're in, where you're just, you know, sort of looking at people whose ideas disqualify them from belonging to your community of faith or family. Um, so that's not the question. The question is, how can we see this with more balance so that we can heal our missional culture? Um, so, but let me talk about why it's false. For starters, reclusivism is one of the foundational patterns of cults and totalitarian regimes because it enables the powers that be to control and manipulate the people under their authority. And this kind of practice has no place among the people of God. I mean, no place whatsoever. And if you think it does, then I don't know what God you're worshiping. It's not the God of the Bible. In addition, the truth can bear the test of scrutiny and like any challenges posed by alternative perspectives, they, they can't shake the truth. I mean, that's one of the things about truth that's so cool, right? It, it's solid. Um, and so to treat truth as some like fragile thing that we got to keep in a bubble wrap, it's, it's nothing more than insecurity masquerading as faithfulness. And this isn't a healthy way to practice your faith. Um, but to be more specific, all right, this is maybe some general uh, ideas, but to be more specific, reclusivism is simply, is simply uninformed. And when you poke at it, when you investigate it, it just kind of crumbles. So, for example, when it comes to theology, right, let's, let's, let's take some practical examples. Uh, when it comes to theology, Adventism derives most of his beliefs from theological structures that existed long before Adventism arrived on the scene. And that might be surprising to some of you and, and, and not surprising to others of you. But, you know, basically, yeah, Adventism did not just drop out of the sky, right? It's built on theological paradigms that long existed before Adventism or Ellen White or Joseph Bates or any of those guys were on the scene, right? So, for example, the Great Controversy, uh, that, that comes to us from John Wesley. You know, he was the father of Wesleyanism, the father of Methodism, the father of Pentecostalism. Um, so he's, he's sort of the, the guy who really had a passion for understanding the character of God and Scripture. That was John Wesley. And he had this whole system or this whole thing that he referred to as scripture's aesthetic theme and that's basically the great controversy um the sabbath as well you know like that came to us from the seventh day baptists the perpetuity of the law the separation of church and state freedom of the will historicism the sanctified life non-eternal hell all this stuff is in classic protestantism and they continue to be believed and taught in diverse churches today so I mean, this idea that we've got like this theology that's so unheard of, it's just, it's, ah, it's not true, you know? Um, now, it's the same is true with our practices, right? Like midweek prayer meetings, Sabbath school, camp meetings, the order of the divine service, hymns, the architecture of many of our churches, our global structure. None of that's unique to us. We copied it from other churches. Um, so, so much for being peculiar, hey? Now, 
there's also this example of Ellen White that is not on the reclusivist side because as we look through her life, we see that Ellen White, for example, participated in non-Adventist movements like the Women's Christian Temperance Union, even though some people in the union were pushing for Sunday laws. And, uh, and Ellen White teamed up with them and she spoke at their events and, you know, she, she, she was a part of what they were doing, even though they weren't Adventist. Uh, she also gave her book, Steps to Christ, um, to be published not by Adventists, right? When she first published it, she didn't give it to Adventists to publish it. She gave it to Dwight Moody's brother. And, you know, for those of you who don't know who Dwight Moody was, he was the leading Sunday preacher of Ellen's day. Um, and of course, she incorporated non-Adventist theologians and thinkers throughout her writings, including non-Adventist Bible comment commentaries, which she referred to in one instance as her best books. Um, and she encouraged Adventist pastors to meet with and pray with ministers of other denominations. She told them, look, you know, Adventists, we need to develop, you know, we, we need to be seen as reformers, not bigots, basically, is, is what she said. Um, and she even encouraged Adventist students to get degrees in Adventist institutions to, to broaden the mind, right, to, to learn. And there was an evangelistic element to it, but that wasn't all there was to it. It was also to learn, to be able to interact with a diversity of ideas. Now, um, you might be thinking, hey, where, where's all this, you know, like, where can I get all this information? Um, and if, if you've got my book, Weird Volution, Adventism for Post-Church Generation, it's all there. Like, all the quotes are there, all the sources are there, like, the whole thing's there. Um, and if you don't have the book and you don't want to buy it or you can't afford it, um, just send me a message because I'm, you know, once you start throwing in all this stuff, the podcast just becomes an eternity. Um, so just shoot me a message and, and I can get you those sources. But in the end, here's the bottom line. Reclusivism um, is not Adventism. And any reclusivist belief within Adventism should be treated for what it is. It's a radical error that's crept into our ranks and it's not an expression of authentic Adventist faith. Now, the, the final question, which is the most important one, right? How does this belief kill Adventist mission? Now, because reclusivism is built on fundamentalism, frugalism, and perfectionism, identifying how it kills Adventist mission is, is, is hard without repeating how those other three elements already kill Adventist mission. Does that make sense? So, but there are three extra ways in which reclusivism damages our witness over and above the damage already done by the aforementioned errors that's a pretty cool word isn't it aforementioned makes me feel smart anyways here it is number one and okay let's be fair here this one came up in frugalism but okay so it's maybe it's not that different but here we go uh, we we decentralize jesus he and, and here's how it works in in um reclusivism the mentality is something along these lines because all christians talk about jesus Adventists who are impacted by reclusivism feel that the heart of Adventist identity, right, the thing that sets us apart from everybody else, is it's got to be something other than Jesus because everybody talks about him, right? So we, we got to have something else. Um, so consequently, they come to see these unique beliefs and practices as more important than Jesus himself. And, and this in turn leads to the Christless religion that Ellen White was criticizing in 1888 in which Adventist doctrines were emphasized without Jesus at the center because, hey, everybody talks about Jesus, so let's, let's go talk about something else. Um, so reclusivism is, is not simply the outflow, and here's a really super duper important point, guys. Like reclusivism doesn't simply flow out of frugalism. It feeds back into it as well and creates this vicious cycle. 
So basically, this leads to a message that's heavy on rules, heavy on propositional arguments and doctrinal contentions, but it's pretty empty because there's no Jesus. So there's no life-giving power. Now, number two, the second way in which reclusivism damages our witness is, and I'd have to say this is probably the most disturbing one for me as a pastor and as an Adventist, is that it leads us to dehumanize others. Now, let me explain by uh, looking at a bit of history. Most people remember Hitler and his Nazi empire as the perpetrators of the Holocaust. But what few people realize is that during Hitler's reign as Führer from 1933 until the start of the war, he hardly mentioned the Jews in public. Instead, he focused on speaking highly of the German people whom he believed were, as he put it, the master race. So by exaggerating the virtue of one group of people, in this case the Germans, he fed their sense of self-importance to the degree that others automatically came to be seen as less than human, especially if those others were portrayed as being in the way of progress. So, for example, the textbook Social Psychology 2nd Edition summarizes this really well in page 202 when it says this, and I quote, The Nazis persuaded many Germans by emphasizing in-group virtue, right? Emphasizing in-group virtue and paved the way for out-group hatred towards the groups that blocked the realization of the Third Reich, end quote. And the tragedy of reclusivist Adventism is that it basically does the same thing. It's not always about degrading other Christians, although that certainly happens, but it's about exaggerating the virtue of the Adventist to such a degree that everyone else comes to be seen as less than. And so this belief then leads to ugly results when all those other Christians, right, or those Sunday Christians and those Sunday pastors and you know, our, our portrayers getting in the way of truth's progress. And from here you get hatred of Catholics and hatred of Muslims and hatred of other evangelical Christians um, and, and leaders in those communities. And the practical result of this kind of view is that we stop associating with non-Adventists and we view these non-Adventists with suspicion. And then we just surround ourselves with ourselves until our entire friendship circle is made up of no one but ourselves. And this in turn leads to the tragedy of point number three. And here it is. We cease to be the salt of the earth. Now, this imbalanced view of ourselves and others leads us to this detached life where we hide in Adventist ghettos and we speak special Adventist language and interact only with Adventist thought. And as a result, our lives become an echo chamber of our own ideas, our own words, and our own phrases. And so, in turn, we become less capable of interacting meaningfully with anyone who is not already in the in-crowd. And we lose the capacity to share present truth in words and language that people actually understand and can appreciate. So for example, we use phrases like present truth or straight testimony or peculiar people or revival and reformation. We use these freely, right? Because we think everyone around us understands what they mean. And I guess in a way they do because everyone around us is already an Adventist. But assuming that people around us aren't, we have no idea how foreign and unintelligible we sound to the emerging secular mind because, after all, 
we don't have that much to do with them anyways. So we speak about the Sabbath being changed to Sunday as though it's the message people need to hear. And I see this on social media sometimes, you know, people harping on. And like, I believe that. I believe that's true. And I believe that's, a, that's, a, that's a, something worth exploring and describing um, and discussing rather. But what we fail to realize is that most people today have no idea who Jesus even is, let alone the Sabbath. So all of this coalesces into this irrelevant proclamation by a people who have lost their saltiness and are content to talk about themselves to themselves, even though no one else is listening. That's pretty sad. Now, as we close, I, I want to turn to that important question, right? What are we supposed to do about this? And the answer, honestly, it depends on your context. Uh, there's no formula for this sort of thing. But if I were to attempt a universal response, right, and this is, you know, I'm doing this with a, a bit of trepidation, I would suggest that our people need education, right? They, they need to be set free from the myths about Adventist history, thought, and development so that they can see themselves more accurately. Not as this grandiose community of faith that is somehow purer than all others, but as a group of people with a story to tell rooted and centered in Jesus. And that should be enough, guys. That should be enough. And once again, I would like to repeat that most of this imbalance is built on the previous foundations of fundamentalism, frugalism, and perfectionism. And if, if you educate and inoculate your members against these false ideas one by one, the reclusivist mindset tends to start to collapse on its own. And, and the, the, the ones that we'll explore in the next few episodes will as well. Um, but don't, you know, like, don't go after reclusivism if you haven't dealt with fundamentalism. This, this, I think you catch my drift. All right, so next week, we're going to take on false belief number five, which is closely tied to reclusivism. Um, in fact, they're so closely tied, they're almost twins, and you're going to struggle to think, how in the world is that any different? But it is, and we're going to talk about that next week. I'm talking about distinctivism, right? That's false belief number five on our list of cringy theology. Distinctivism, the false belief that we must be oh so different um and so we're gonna actually explore how a lack of lack of balance in our call to our uniqueness or in the call to our uniqueness um kills our missional capacity as well all right guys i'm gonna wrap it up there for today i think that was that was pretty heavy um and i hope that it's something that you find useful um insightful and uh that it can help you lead your communities of faith to a healthier balance if you want to know more about everything in today's episode you gotta get the weird volution all right like this like it's like a whole book guys you know i'm not gonna do a whole book in one podcast and you know sometimes people are like hey you know just share the content on the podcast. I'm like, you realize there's a whole book. Yes, and you know, it's going to take a while. So um, get yourself Weird Volution, guys. There's a special going on right now. It's not going to last much longer. You can get all the books on my store for $12. Um, Weird Volution, the whole in Adventism, which is kind of like they're, they're, they're like, you know, partners in if, if books can be partners, right? They're, they're sort of together. And, and Heartbeat as well, which is... Um, looking at how we can redesign Adventism for mission. Now, in cringology, we're focusing on the theology side of things. In heartbeat, it focuses on the structure side of things. So anyways, check those out, guys. If you want to dig a little bit deeper into this stuff, there's some great materials there. Um, you don't have to linger on the surface. You can dig deeper and, and get some good stuff. Anyways, I'm going to wrap it up there for today. Thank you for hanging out again. Um, absolutely love having you guys listen to the podcast. I love getting your feedback as well. Um, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. And um, I'll catch you guys next week.
Take care. God bless.